I'll be reading Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Good morning, church. Certainly good to be here. All right. God is good? And all the time? Amen. I'm going to start today with a quote from a guy by the name of Tim Keller. Um, Because I think it's a good way to transition into our lesson this morning. Keller writes, To be loved but not known is comforting but superficial. To be known and not loved, well, that's our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved, well, that's a lot like being loved by God. It is what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense. It humbles us out of our self-righteousness. And it fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. That's a pretty good quote. To be fully known and fully loved is the love that God shows our life. To do so allows us to be liberated from pretense, he says, humbled out of self-righteousness and fortified against difficulties in life. And I would add to Keller's comment, and it creates the redemptive space that we need for change. Creates the redemptive space we need for change. That's really what this lesson this morning is all about. Uh, We're going to be talking about the next step in our series, the choice to voluntarily change. It's based in Matthew 5, verse 6, and this step. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And the step that follows that is voluntarily submit to every change God wants to make in our life, be humble, and ask Him to remove our character defects. Now, this makes sense in line of what we've been doing, right? We started out this series talking about the importance of realizing we're not God and asking God to come in and to do something about it, right? Realizing we're not God, that we're uh, incapable of, uh, of controlling our lives, and our lives have a tendency to kind of fall out of control. We said that it's important for us to earnestly believe that God exists, that we matter to him, and that he has the power to help us recover. Right? Those first two steps are so important that I can't be God and there is a God who loves me. The third is just as important. We consciously choose to commit ourselves, all of our life, all of our will, over to God's control, over to Christ's control. And then last week we talked about the importance of confession. Right? Once you are certainly and understandably um, in the presence of God, in a relationship with God, it's time to deal with the aftermath of playing God for yourself. And so we, can, we do this moral inventory. By the show of hands, anybody do the moral inventory this week or this past week? Thanks for your transparency. Um, yes, no, most of us didn't, but that's okay. 
Uh, moral inventory is very important. It's allowing us to, to, to really look at our lives, look at what character faults, uh, flaws that may be there, and then allow God to, to change them. And so uh, we confess those to ourselves through this moral inventory. We confess them to God and said, hey, I need your forgiveness. And then we confess them, hopefully, to another person that we trust. Um, when you do that, when you do that, it's really about becoming fully known. And that's what confession is all about. Becoming fully known. No pretense. That's the reason I have a, 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 um, a mask up there on the screen. Uh, getting real is all about becoming fully known. Taking away the pretense of our life and really being yourself. And then experiencing the love of God as the real you. There is nothing like it. And once we've looked at our character default, our defects, we allow God in to this redemptive space. And so uh, let's take a look at three things. We're going to take a look at where our character defaults, uh, defects rather, come from. Um, why it is it's such a struggle to get past them and how it is we get past them. Um, so let's begin with where they come from, right? Where are our character defects come from? Where do they come from? Three C's. First off, chromosomes, right? They come from where we come from. We inherit a lot of our own uh, idiosyncrasies, a lot of our predispositions to things come from just being born into this world. Each of your parents gives something like 23,000 chromosomes to the, to the math, and out of, out of that come different pre, uh, predip, predispositions to certain things. Um, and we know that. We know this is, is as absolute fact. This is not just a, a guess. We are a product of our DNA to some degree. Um, some of us have a predisposition to anger or to a predisposition to uh, addictive behavior. Um, did you know that American Indians, uh, it's very easy for them to become intoxicated. One of the reasons, uh, one of the reasons they struggle so much with uh, alcoholism uh, as a community is because of how quickly they can become uh, drunk. Same also with, uh, with populations in Asia. I also have this tendency to be really struck by, um, really affected by alcohol. And that's just a sample. That's just an example of of what it looks like. We don't just get our father's hair. We don't just get our, our mother's uh, you know, eyes. We also inherit certain predispositions to things. Um, and, and that's true. That's absolutely true. Um, we get kind of defensive about that on the Christian side of things. And the reason we do that is because our culture has said whatever is normal, is uh, natural, is moral. Right? If I was born this way, then I ought to be able to kind of live this way. Well, that's just not the way it works. Uh, if we have some kind of character defect as a result of DNA, it doesn't give us permission to live against God's will. Um, it just really allows us to understand ourselves a little bit more. So chromosomes are a part of the category. Also, our circumstances. The way that we respond to, uh, to life and to, to stressors uh, is oftentimes a matter of not just nature, but what? Nurture, the way you were raised. Um, all of us have these needs, right? Uh, needs to, uh, uh, for respect, needs for love, needs for security. And we have been taught through our upbringing to seek satisfaction to those needs in certain patterns of behavior. 
Um, and so we, a, lot of, uh, a lot of our upbringing, a lot of the way we respond to, to pain, a lot of the way we respond to fear, a lot of the way we respond to uh, conflict in our life comes, exact, comes from uh, our rearing. And, uh, and sometimes, sometimes it's, you grow up in an environment where those needs aren't met. You know, oftentimes people who struggle with, um, with, uh, with love find solace in very superficial relationships. People who didn't feel very loved growing up will, will seek any type of relationship to just somehow get a hold of the love that they are longing for. People who grow up in places of, of great insecurity and in poverty and moving from place to place and place to place because there, there wasn't enough resources often grow up and struggle uh, with really uh, trying to pile all this materialism on themselves to feel like they are secure. Um, on and on and on it goes, right? Our, our character defects comes from our, our chromosomes, right? Our nature comes from our nurture, the circumstances we find. And then, of course, as George Jones would say, they come from our choices, right? Our character defects also are greatly affected by our choices. I think his words were, we've had choices from the day that we were born. We've heard voices that told us right from wrong. And if I had listened, I wouldn't be here today living and dying with the choices that we make. Right? These are, uh, as it were, biological, sociological, and theological dynamics that go into where our character defects come from. Uh, we make choices, and eventually our choices, as they would say, make us. Um, we continue to make a choice to respond to uh, some kind of negative stimuli in your life or some kind of uh, need that you're not getting, uh, looking for superficial relationships uh, eventually, over time, uh, those hang-ups become habits. Um, those choices begin to make you, uh, instead of you just making choices. It just takes place over, over a lifetime. You see, uh, our character defects aren't just there. They also are there, and usually as an adult, it takes a long time to deal with them. Um, for change to take place, it takes quite a long time. Uh, and In fact, a long time, <laughs> right? You didn't build Rome in a day, and you're not going to deconstruct Rome in a day. It takes a long time for people to deal with their character defects. Um, we get in patterns and, of behavior, and it becomes almost like muscle memory. You guys, you guys ever heard of muscle memory, right? Um, athletes will, will train over and over again for just the right golf swing or just the right baseball swing uh, in order uh, to, when they get up to bat, almost do it naturally where they just swing through the ball uh, almost without thinking because they've done that so many times. Well, the same thing takes place with our character defects. Over a long period of time, we become used to dysfunction. In fact, did you know that you can get so used to dysfunction that functional looks dysfunctional? You can get so used to abnormal that normal feels abnormal. You can get so used to the brokenness and dysfunctional relationships that a healthy, normal lifestyle relationship can feel awkward to you, can feel different, can feel like I'm not secure in this relationship. So um, a good example of this, I, I like to use it with pets because it's a little easier to talk about. <laughs> um, if you ever go get a pet that has been abused from the, uh, from the, uh, from the, 
uh, the pound or uh, rescue, um, and you bring them into your house uh, with other animals, oftentimes they become aggressive with food. Why? Because they've had to fight for their food. They usually eat it all right away because they have to fight for their food when they get it. Uh, and when they have an opportunity to eat on the streets, they take it. Um, they, they, they struggle with trust. So you bring them into a brand new situation with other, uh, other animals, and they're not going to feel comfortable for a long period of time. Um, it, that's just how we are, uh, not just as animals, but as people. It takes time to deal with our character defects. Number two, another reason they're, they're difficult is because our identity is often wrapped up in them. I was talking to a gentleman at uh, We Care, We Share just this week about that. He's going through some amazing changes in his life, and um, it was just a pleasure to be around. And I know Bill and, and I were, we, and, and uh, Josh and Peggy were all kind of talking to him and encouraging him. Um, you know, We Care, We Share does more than grow vegetables. It grows people, if you didn't know that. Um, they do a lot of good work, and uh, this, this gentleman has come through. He's been there two months or so, really getting his life back on track. Um, he is, as he put it, within a couple hundred dollars away from getting his license for the first time in his life, and he's like 25, right? So he, is, he has come a long way. And yet he was sharing with us how at home he's catching a lot of flack. Um, his brother, he was sharing with his brother, and, he, and his brother overheard him telling another person, uh, have a blessed day. And his brother said, what are you saying that for? You can't say that. You're not a religious person, right? Um, he also said uh, uh, something along the lines that uh, I have to go get a job or something like that. And his brother said, no, you have a problem with authority. How in the world are you ever going to get a job? Do you see what their brother's doing? The brother is identifying him by his character defect. You're the mess up in life. You're the one who can't keep a job. You're the... Uh, you're the impatient one. You're, you're, you're not the religious one. What, see, that's one of the challenges of character defects is that we often get them confused for who we are. This is one of the major differences between, for instance, Celebrate Recovery and AA. Uh, I understand why AA does what they do. AA really spends a lot of time uh, focusing and getting people out of denial. So they ask people to confess, hello, my name is Matt, I'm an alcoholic. They ask you to do that so that you don't pretend like you're not. And so it's a mechanism to keep people out of denial. Uh, but through, through Scripture and, and, and the way of celebrate recovery, it's totally different. We don't ask people to identify themselves by their character defect. We ask them to identify themselves by their faith in Christ. And so in celebrate recovery, it's not, hello, my name is Matt, I'm an alcoholic. It is, hello, my name is Matt, I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who struggles with alcohol. And the reason they do that is because very often our character defects become a little bit about who we are. Oh, that's just so, so-and-so. He's impatient. Oh, that's just so, so-and-so. She'll just tell you how the cow ate its cabbage, right? Oh, that's just, we make all these excuses for bad behavior. Have you noticed that? Oh, that's just, quote-unquote, who they are. Our character defects get moved into identity. That's why they're difficult to change. It takes a long time to, to make them. It takes a long time to get out of them. And we begin to identify ourselves. And, of course, there's a payoff. Uh, Moses uh, is said to, in, in Hebrews chapter 11, uh, to forfeit the pleasures of sin. You know what that reminds me? That reminds me that sin can be pleasurable. 
that, that sometimes our character defects are, uh, have some kind of payoff in our life. I, I raise my anger and people start doing things for me. How many of you all have a mother? <laughs> right? Or have a father, right? And all of a sudden it's like they're, they're, there's non-compliance, there's non-compliance, there's non-compliance until um, the voice goes up. Uh, there's a bit of yelling, a bit of passion, um, and there, there's a loss of patience and anger. And, uh, you know, when Grandma loses her religion in the store, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, it, it's because there's a payoff. And the payoff is what? Compliance. They finally listen to me when I threaten them. They finally listen to me when I raise my voice. They finally listen to me when I curse at them. Right? There's a payoff to our character defects. Uh, if you're lazy, there's a payoff. You get to hang out and do a whole lot of nothing until the bills come in. And this stuff starts getting shut off, right? But there's a payoff. That's why character defects are, uh, are difficult to change. And then, of course, there's Satan. Uh, Satan doesn't want you to change. The, the, the Satan can't pry you from the Father's hand. But if you let him get in your head, he can keep you from becoming, in this life, what God wants you to become. He can tempt you. He can, you know, uh, Romans, or excuse me, John chapter 8, I believe it's verse 44, uh, Jesus refers to Satan as a murderer and a liar. In fact, lying, according to Jesus, is the devil's native tongue. It's his native tongue. And Satan has a way of saying, hey, you know what? He often has a way of saying through our, our loved ones, hey, you have a problem with authority. You can't change. Hey, you're the mess up in this life. Uh, Satan loves to call us by our sin. Our Savior loves to call us by our name. Remember that. If you're calling yourself and identifying yourself by your sin, that's not from Satan. Or that's not from God. That's from Satan. Um, yeah, anyways. Okay, a character uh, defects, they're, they, uh, they're there uh, from circumstances and our character and the choices we make, and they're, they're there for a long time. So what do we do about it? Well, our scripture that reading this morning made it very clear. There has to be a change of mind. God renews us through a changing of our mind. Um, there are some things we need to focus on. Number one, one defect at a time. Uh, a discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool eye wonders to the ends of the earth. You have to stay focused on one thing at a time. How many of you out here only have one character defect? Yeah, right? Most of us have multiple character defects. Um, and it's very important that we, that we don't try to fix everything at once. Uh, it's very important that we really focus on one thing at a time. This brings up an important piece. Um, as a church and as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a community of faith, we have to allow people to work on their defects, one defect at a time. Whether it's anger or, uh, you know, maybe it's lust, maybe it's pornography, maybe it's uh, drug abuse, right? Have you ever noticed we have this in our mind or in our, in our way of judging things, we have this priority of sin. And, uh, and you're allowed to work on your anger in church. Because all of us struggle with anger. You're allowed to work on your patience with church. We even make jokes about it, right? But are you allowed to work on your pornography addiction in church? Are you allowed to work on your gender confusion in church? 
Are you allowed to work on fill in the blank? I don't know if we make that same space, but we need to because we can't expect people to change in ways that we're not even willing to change. And what's really remarkable about that is if you really go down the, the, the trail of working on character defects. For instance, if you begin to really work on anger, what you often find out is that there's a wound behind it or a problem behind it that's really affecting everything else. So we have to make creative and redemptive space for people to work on their character defects. And so we need to focus one defect at a time. Can't, you can't focus on, on too many things. Number two, we're going to focus on victory one day at a time. Matthew 6, verse 34 says, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Um, this is so important. We get overwhelmed by the amount of change that needs to take place. Instead of just focusing on what it means to be a winner today. What does it mean to be victorious today? That's one of the, some of the language that, that you use with people who are struggling with different things. Is don't, don't focus on fixing everything in your life. Just be faithful today. And if you've just fallen, if you just sinned, that's okay. Get back up. Just be faithful for the rest of the day. right? Just be faithful for the next five minutes. Just try to get to sleep. okay? You know, Whatever it is, just the ne- very next right step. Focus on victory for today. Focus on God's power, not willpower. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all this through, uh, through him who gives me strength. It's fascinating that passage gets taken out of context. It often ends up in tattoos. Um, and, and then people are basically saying, well, I want to be a multimillionaire with great hair. You know, uh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> uh, that's not how the, the verse is really talking about. In fact, just before this, Paul's talking about him being able to learn to be content in all circumstances. That's where this comes from. Paul says, hey, I can finally get a hold of my character defects. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So it's not just a, a, a one verse fixed all. This is a passage that reminds us ultimately that the change in our life is going to come through the power and strength and wisdom uh, that, has, uh, that can get you out of the problem that you're in. Um, through our power and strength and wisdom, we got ourselves into the problem. Uh, focusing on God's power and his power uh, is the way out. A lot of times the way this shows up in our life is we feel defeated. We feel like we don't have the strength, right? We're like Scotty. Sorry, Captain, I just don't have the power, right? And God's like, yeah, that was a horrible accident, I know. But um, you don't have the power. Don't focus on your power. You focus on God's power. You focus on what God can do. Focus also on doing good rather than feeling good. Galatians 5, 16 and 18 says, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you what. <laughs> That's actually in the Bible, right? <laughs> Believe it or not, you know, I don't know how, I don't know how many you know, theological like jujitsu you have to go through to get to a health and wealth sort of version of scripture, right? And if I'm just, if I just be faithful enough, I just do some good works, God will give me a Cadillac and will fulfill the desires of my heart. Um, Paul says just the opposite. Paul says, you know what? God really doesn't want you doing everything you want to do. Because everything you want to do sometimes is against his will. 
And so He sends His Spirit into our heart to fight against the very thing that we want to do. Guess what that's going to mean? It's not always going to feel great. Not always going to feel great. When, when that person is provoking you, you know, and you want to pop them in the lip, and you don't, at the time, that doesn't feel good. <laughs> right? What would feel good is knocking the guy out. But you don't. You don't in the moment. Even though it doesn't feel good, you're doing good. Um, and this is so important in the recovery process, especially if you're dealing with a hurt or a habit that has been formed over time. Doing the right thing isn't going to feel normal for a long time. Um, in, in a marriage relationship, uh, if it's been your custom just to go from you know calm and peace and conversation to all-out brawl, right? If if your idea of conflict uh, resolution in marriage is shock and all, right? Um, being peaceful and talking things out isn't going to feel normal. If you were raised up in a family where everyone yelled until they came to a conclusion, being peaceful in communication isn't going to feel normal. It's going to feel weird and awkward. You're not going to feel like you belong there. It's going to feel like you're, on, you're not in your native land, right? I, that was something Melissa and I had to work on when we first got married. My family is extremely sarcastic, right? My family is loud and sarcastic. And we yell at each other and we argue with each other, and that's normal, right? It's kind of how we say we love you, you know? That's just kind of how we did things. And when I got married to Melissa, totally different situation. Sarcasm was you being a jerk, right? Why are you trying to make me feel stupid? Why, you know? So there's, that was her normal and my normal, totally different things. So I had to focus on doing good, even though it didn't feel good, because I felt like we weren't really getting to the heart of things because we weren't, you know, we weren't yelling. We weren't talking. We weren't, we weren't um, communicating the way that I was raised to communicate. So do good before feeling good. Even if you have to fake it, do good. Do good. Focus on doing good rather than feeling good. Another thing to focus on is good thinking rather than bad thinking. Philippians 4, 8 says, Finally, brothers, sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is on Fox television, whatever is admirable. It, whoa, 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 wait, wait a second. That didn't show up. My bad. Whatever is on CNN. Oh, wait a second. That's not on there either. Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent, praiseworthy. Think about such things. What you think about shapes how you think about things. In fact, it, just this week there was an article came out and just floating around Facebook. I, I shared it. Hopefully you guys pay attention to it. It says, if you are a person who complains a lot, it will absolutely change the way your brain works. If you complain a lot, you become a complainer and complainers often struggle with Depression. Your, your brain chemistry gets changed because you're constantly complaining about everything. Have you ever met someone who can take an awesome situation and be like, pick out the one problem in that whole situation? It's, it's a, it's a skill set. 
it is uh, impressive to me sometimes. I'm like, wow, how did that even happen? Uh, but, but it's possible. If you spend all your time complaining, all your time thinking about negative, and that's not just true with complaints. It's also true with um, just the thinking about different things. Um, if you think about violent things, if you think about lustful situations all the time, what you think shapes how you think. Um, and, and the inverse is true as well. If you think about heavenly things, if you think about what is true and admirable and right and praiseworthy, your behavior changes as well. Finally, or fourthly, or fifthly, one of the loops, uh, focus on helpers, not hinderers. It really does matter who you surround yourself with in life. Amen? I mean, can't we say that now as adults, right? All of us are in here adults. It matters who you have around you. Amen? I didn't believe that as a kid. I thought, you know, I'm going to hang out. Everyone's accepted. Everyone, you know. I found that uh, if I find myself within a violent group, I become violent. If I find myself within a drinking group, and a drunkard group, I become a drunkard. If I find myself within whatever group you want to talk about, you surround yourself with helpers rather than hinderers. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought to and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. Think about focus on progress, not perfection. Philippians 1.3.6 says, I thank my God every time I remember you in my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. So these are the things to focus on. Uh, when we go through this moral inventory, we are bound to discover these character defects. They come from lots of places. But the only thing you can really, ch- you can really deal with, you can't change the past, you can't change your DNA. Uh, what you can do is make a choice. That's the only area that you have free to choose, to make a choice. And over a period of time, if we are faithful, with the help of God's Holy Spirit, and we're focusing on the right thing, change can take place. So whatever it is you're focusing on, uh, or whatever it is you're dealing with, focus on these things. Um, let's all be standing, and I'm going to end with a song that was suggested to me by the Lees a couple of weeks ago. She smiled earlier today because I think she figured out that's where I was going with it. Um, this is a really good song, and it talks about the redemptive space that we've been given by God. Um, I just want to, I guess, want to end today by saying, don't waste your time trying to put up a facade. Don't waste your time and energy and effort trying to be something that you're not. Be real. Be what you are. As broken as you are right now, you have permission to be broken as you are right now. God will be responsible for the change in your life. He knows you. Be fully 100, right? Got to be 100. Be who you are right now. And God loves you exactly as you are right now. That's what this song talks about.
and ridiculous grace. Isn't that good news? Amen. Let's end with this and we'll be done for the day. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things that I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. Trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will. So that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next. In Jesus' name, amen. Be blessed, church.